Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. You know the names. George Floyd, Ahmaud Arbery, Breonna Taylor. We know the names, right? People who have lost their lives to senseless violence whether it be at the hands of law enforcement or people in the neighborhood. What happens with their families? They need to pick up the pieces and who's there to help them do so? Well, this week we're joined by Clementina Sherry of the Louis D. Brown Peace Institute, an organization that focuses on providing services to the survivors, family members of victims of violence. My name is E. Duke Bennett, and this is Tell Us the Truth. My name is Chaplain Clementina Sherry. I'm the president and CEO of the Louis D. Brown Peace Institute, and I'm here to tell you the truth. Well, Clementina Sherry, you know, that might be the first time I've actually said your full name, other than, you know, any time that you've gotten a resolution on behalf of the city of Boston. But uh, welcome to Tell Us Thank the Truth. Thank you. Thank you for having me. And, you know, my mom died of COVID. So to honor her, I'm using my full name, Clementina. <laughs> and that is how I will refer to you for, for the Thank rest you. of my days. I, I appreciate you saying that, Clementina. I Thank love you. it. And it's a beautiful name. You know, uh, Clementina, you and I have known each other for over a decade. And, and I've been fortunate enough to have a front row seat to a lot of the incredible work that you and your your team do at the Peace Institute. So I want to start from the beginning here. If you were speaking to a complete stranger, uh, how would you describe what is the Louis D. Brown Peace Institute? Oh, that's a loaded question. So if I was speaking to a complete stranger, I would really just start by just letting them know that the Peace Institute serves as a center of healing, teaching, and learning for families and communities impacted by murder, trauma, grief, and loss. And what does that mean? That means that we work with families on both sides of homicide, families whose loved ones have been murdered and families who are imprisoned by murder to really create an environment where families can live in peace. And we do that through program services, advocacy, and training. That's kind of my elevator speech. Well, no, that and that's perfect because you you really you described it exactly as I know it. Um, when you say services, give me give me a little bit more background on the services that so you provide. The services is really again when Lewis was killed within the city of Boston, and you know if you remember back then in 1993, there were really no resources and services to assist families whose loved ones were murdered, especially you know families in the black and brown communities. Um, And so, again, when I would hear of a shooting, I would feel for the family, but then there's this sense of relief. Oh, that would never happen to me. So we went into the hospital and really left the hospital empty-handed. There were no resources. I didn't know what to do. I didn't know where to go, and I didn't know where to turn. And 
after uh, the city realized that Lewis was a good kid, he was an honest student, we really wanted for nothing. You know, the late Mayor Menino was just um, um, acting mayor, and resources came to us. And I made myself, I made a commitment that I would pay it forward. And then I wonder, well, what if my child was not a good kid? What if he had a lengthy criminal record? What would have happened to my family and I? So I decided that I would really pay it forward. The city opened up for me and embraced me. We, my family and I wanted for nothing. So that's where we started with the Survivors Outreach Services. Again, support through the city. Um, to provide emotional and practical support to families of murdered victims in that first 24 to 72 hours. And we develop a survivor's burial and resource guide, a step-by-step -step workbook where our hospitals, our level one trauma hospitals in Boston, our police department, our city of Boston a neighborhood trauma team, our elected officials, this is a tool that's given to the families as part of their death notification. So that's the initial work that we do with families. And then on the other hand, our community reentry preparation services is really working with the families of those that are incarcerated and preparing the men to come back out into the community um, with the resource that they need so that they can begin to heal um, and really partner to help them succeed. So those are, you know, kind of our two entry point when we talk about our services. And then under all of those are different activities for ongoing healing, teaching, and learning. You know, you, you use the word mm -hmm. survivors and you and the, the Peace Institute has really affected my conscious use of that word, survivors. Talk to me about the word survivors and why you use that word in particular versus victim or, or something. Yeah, thanks for that lines. question. And even in this, even within the survivors, and we use survivors of homicide victims, because even within this community, when we talk about survivors, um, it has been attributed most of the times historically to survivors of domestic violence, survivors of sexual assault, survivors of other crimes because they survived the crime. When we talk about victims, is the the victims again that again something happened to them and now they're no longer here with us. And so those of us whose loved ones have been murdered, we are not survivors because nothing physically happened to me. And we are not victims because, again, the, the victim is dead in our case. And so for us, as we are survivors of homicide victims or survivors of murdered victims. We want people to be clear and understand someone I love was murdered. Somebody killed them. And even within the survivors community, there's still those of us who have moved from survivors, you know, we're thrivers, we're warriors. So there's still that language. But for us, we want people to understand families are left behind for each homicide that happens. And for the city and for the state and for our country to understand for each homicide victims, there's a family, there's a community. There's friends, their colleagues, so that ripple effect and that number of people impacted continues to increase. You know, like I said, you you have educated me on that fact, and 
I'm actually I've spread the gospel of using the word survivors and, and the importance of that because it gives hope. Yes. Right. Um, from a psychological standpoint, it, it's it's tremendous how important it is for us to qualify what we're saying and how we describe things and, and, and realizing how much words really do matter. Because when you're in a situation where you lose a loved one, especially to violence, it's very difficult to find hope in those moments. Especially now during COVID, you know, and, and it's, it's, it's difficult to find hope every time a national um, uh, event happens. And so whenever a national event happens, those of us whose loved ones have been murdered on the local level, we tend to always be pushed back. Nobody remembers that we're here because whether it's the Columbine shooting, whether it's the, 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 the Las Vegas shooting, whether it's the Newtown, Connecticut shooting, whether it's the 9-11, the marathon bombing, and now COVID, we are always pushed back that nobody understands that we are re-triggered, we are re-traumatized. And especially again, when the day-to-day shootings continue to happen. And so we really want to make sure that people don't forget about us. And at the same time, that we don't allow ourselves to fall into that, that dark hole that many of us can fall in because it's, it's, it is hopeless. And so coming together so that we can offer hope for each other. And we want to, a part of our work that we do, we have a, a network of survivors of homicide victims network so that we're working with them, one, to begin to heal. And two, once they begin to heal, then they themselves will then um, start their own organization or as a way of honoring their loved ones so that then we can come together to inform, influence, and impact policy. Because many times we're often called to do photo op and to cry on politicians' shoulders and to talk about how gun violence has impacted us or gang violence has impacted us. And we, we, we want to move away from just doing the photo op. And we want you to know we are survivors and we are thrivers and we are warriors and, you know, we're not standing idly by. And so we're impacted by murder, we're re-triggered and we're traumatized and we're also peaceful, powerful, and we're joyful because that's how we want to honor our loved ones. Clementina, talk to me about the gatherings because one of the things that the Peace Institute does is you have rallies and you you have walks for peace. Um, These things that you've been doing for so many years and a lot of the critics will say, well, you know, if a police officer murders a black kid, then everyone's out there rallying and protesting and, and, and marching. But what about the, the general day-to-day violence that happens in community? How, how come there's no protesting? How come there's no no walks? There's no no marching for that? And it always makes me scratch my head because this is something that you and your organization have been doing for decades. I know. And so, <laughs> yeah, thanks for that. So when, again, you know, it's, we're, we're a culture that we're reactionary and that we all, I, I guess I want to say there's a calling that we all have and we're called to do that. And I think for me, it's important for people to come out 
and to rally when it's a police-involved shooting, yet though, it's only those that you see with a body camera. I mean, I just want to stay in Boston and in Massachusetts because, as you know, Boston is one of the most racist city in this country. And we don't like to say that, but that's the truth. And we've had our own police shootings here in Boston. And I think it's because when it's in our own backyard, we don't come out to do it because we have our, no, you know, I, I, I'm here to tell the truth. But not to shame and blame, we have some of our black ministers that will come out in public to justify the police-involved shooting. So there's really no process. We have a group of mothers, families whose sons were killed, that they are doing the work. They are rallying. But yet, I think what happens is because we're, we're, we're so interconnected and this one knows that one and the other knows the other, many times the people that are doing the work on the quiet level will never get the attention. You know, the revolution will never be televised. And so for us in doing this work and in serving families impacted by murder, including those who have been killed due to police-involved shootings, you know, our former police commissioner Evans, he would make sure that when something happened that family was connected to the Peace Institute because he knew it didn't matter what him and his people did, that family was not trusting. I remember there was a time that one church, I'm not going to name any name, I'm here to tell the truth, but I'm not naming names. One church told a family that they could not hold their services because they didn't want to get in, in trouble with the police department. And I called Commissioner Evans and I said, this is, this is, this is injustice. And he said, no, no one should ever be saying that. You know, so we don't come out, we don't rally. And if we do, nobody's going to pay attention to us. You know, so we need to continue to do the work. We are continuing to do the work. And I can't stop. I'm not going to stop. Again, I've been at this 27 years. And we will rally. Sometimes there's no... There's no impact because we rally, we're tired, and then we go away, and then something else happens, but it's not important enough. So I think for us is when we talk about, you know, the issue of Black Lives Matter, I don't expect the Black Lives Matter movement to come and rally for the day-to-day -day Black lives in the community. That's something that we need to do because I think their focus on police-involved shootings. So I don't want to, I don't want to negate that. And I've learned that it took me years to understand that. Well, why aren't we rallying when black on black crime? Well, we are rallying, but their focus is again, police involved shootings and stay in focus on that. And the rest of us that are doing this work, we do it whether or not is a police involved shooting because still. When it's a police-involved shooting while you're rallying, that family still needs to bury their loved one. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing, and now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino-style games to choose from, with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. 
and the resources shut down. And that's the part that I don't think we understand. Unless it's high profile, then the government will, you know, pay you for wrongful um, killing of your loved one. And yet no, nothing has changed it's because the next family who video was not televised, whose murder was not televised, doesn't get that same support. So I want to stay focused on the work that we're doing. I want to stay focused and giving people hope. And for those families here in Boston to to stand up and to rally and to say, we've done this on a national level. Come on, Boston. We are right in our, in our own backyard. When are you going to show up for us? You know, it's funny that you talk about the resources because you're absolutely right. I mean, when a loved one is murdered, whether it's by the police or anybody else, the family goes through some significant trauma. But meanwhile, the bills pile <laughs> up, right? The bills pile up, the funeral home want their money, uh, the cemeteries don't want a payment plan, they want their money up front. Not all families have life insurance. The state has what's called victim compensation, yet is a fund of last resort. And we actually changed that um, that fund because the way it was, this is interesting, I, I mean, America is something else. Um, they have this fund, the victim compensation, that money comes from um, uh, criminals and it goes into this fund. But if a family, if the victim deemed to contribute it to his own demise, that family was then denied that victim compensation. So we work with the Survivors Network, again, with our law enforcement, with our district attorney's office, criminal justice professionals, our legislators, our city counselors, and with the survivors themselves to change that clause to say, um, to remove the clause that a family will not receive the modest funeral and burial um, portion of the state victim compensation if the victim contributed to their own demise. And what did that mean? It just means that Black folk were not being compensated because our loved ones were gang involved, had a lengthy criminal record, so therefore they deserve what they get. So we passed that law so no families will ever be denied that uh, modest and burial. But then at the same time, working with the funeral homes to make sure they don't charge the families what the state victim compensation pays. And we just work with the city of Boston. You know, we have a, the city of Boston has a burial fund so that those families who are being buried here in Boston because the cemetery wants their money right away. They won't wait on the payment plan. So we are able to work with the cemeteries to give them that money so families can bury their loved ones. But then at the same time, you know, working, sometimes that victim will contribute it to the household. Families can't work because of emotional trauma you know, or that person um, was, was the child care provider or whatever it is. So we're dealing with um, physical, emotional, and financial stress, and it leads to instability, and it has a very negative impact on the entire community. So one of the things for us is transforming the way society responds to homicide. And we must create an investment because if we don't invest, then it'll become even more expensive. You know, even now during COVID, homicides rate have gone up higher. And in Boston, we're still wondering, you know, are they coming out of prison? Is it's going to be a hot summer? Ain't got nothing to do with that. 
we have to provide effective and equitable uh, support and services to families, and that includes emotional, physical, spiritual, and financial support, and treating families with dignity and compassion so that cycle of retaliatory violence doesn't continue. All families deserve to be treated effective and equitable. You know, that's just incredible, incredible information there. And I do wonder, uh, Clementina, with everything going on, especially the last few years with the uptick in coverage, not the uptick in in incidents, but the uptick, uptick in coverage of police shootings of black and brown people, how has that, if at all, affected the Peace Institute's relationship with police departments, because as you said, the violence is still happening in the neighborhoods and a relationship with police is necessary in order for your organization to really be firing on all cylinders. You know, you got to be, have a relationship with police, government, community, the whole nine yards there. It's all inclusive. Um, So how have you been affected by the uptick in coverage? Well, you know, for us is again, because we are true to who we are. We are a center of healing teaching and learning for families and communities impacted by murder, trauma, grief, and loss on both ends. And that includes police-involved shootings, and that includes working with the police. My son was murdered by the son of a Boston police officer. That's where my relationship starts with the police department. I wanted to meet the families because, again, we're both in this community. Although my son wasn't the intended target, your son aim was to kill somebody. So what can we do first as community members, as parents and as people of color to say it stops with us and to begin to deep dig in and to form relationship? Well, government didn't help that to happen. It was another mother. So we did meet. We meet, we met at our, you know, local Blarney Stone right here in Fields Corner, you know, and really with the mother, mother to mother, women to women, heart to heart, you know, we realized that we were both impacted and that this is much bigger than, than, than us as individuals and as families. So being able to build that relationship and continue that relationship We're here to serve. We're not here to take sides. So when a homicide happens and when it's a police-involved shooting, you need to make sure that family is treated with dignity and compassion so that they can bury their loved ones. We don't pick and choose. And if you don't make that connection, we don't that that that's gonna come to us anyway, because the community is gonna make sure that family comes to us. Some of the funeral homes that we work with is gonna make sure that that family come to us. So you have a family resource officer, that's the job of that family resource officer to make sure that that family that was killed by the police accident, what do you what do we call this? Um death by police, suicide by police, or intentional, whatever it is, that family needs to be treated with dignity and compassion. So we continue to build that relationship. We've worked with them to to make sure that they, they, when they're doing their death notification, that they let the family know you don't have to go through this alone. Right now, we, because of the work that we, (laughs) that we do, I am I am a consultant for the Office for Victims of Crime. 
and I am one of the top consultants training law enforcement on best practices when responding to families of homicide victims, regardless of the circumstances. We just did a training in Florida to the Broward County Victim Services, which most of them were law enforcement. We did to the uh, prosecuting attorney general in Michigan, prosecuting association of attorneys in Michigan, uh, San Francisco. So we're training law enforcement. And actually here in Massachusetts in 2016, we did the first ever law enforcement briefing again, training law enforcement on how to best respond with families regardless of the circumstances. So because again, we don't choose side, I'm gonna tell you the truth when you're not doing something right. And even um, when an incident happened here where I saw an officer hit a young woman that he was arrested, I called the commissioner and I said, look, I'm just gonna tell you, here's what's happened. I think I got punished for that because then my funding got cut, but they're not, <laughs> they're not, they're saying it has nothing to do with that, but that's okay. But these are the things we have to be able to let people know when they're doing something wrong, including our law enforcement officers. And so I would say because of who we are, we practice what we preach. We don't take sides, but we're going to work to hold you accountable, to train, to educate. I would say it hasn't. I've been through, let's see, Paul Evans, Kathleen O'Toole, Ed Davis, Bill Evans, Willie Gross. I've been through five police commissioners. I'm still here. We were one that also work with our police department homicide unit to get a family resource officer. So when a homicide happens, that officer can then be that liaison between the community, the Peace Institute, and uh, the homicide division so that the detectives can do their investigation. So I would say it we 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 build relationship, we strengthen relationship, and we provide a space where we can talk about the hard conversation without shaming or blaming. Because we as survivors are shame and blame. As families, we're shame and we're blamed by society, and we don't want to impose that on anybody else. Where is the work going? Um, you know, we're in 2021. We've had this crazy pandemic that has really driven a lot of industry indoors where you know people are realizing instead of going to the office instead of face to face there's a lot that we need to do online i mean as, as you and i record this we're doing this through our computers as opposed to sitting face to face right. right um where is the work of the peace institute going and, and how is uh, technology being utilized to help you get there it's our work is still moving our work is more imperative now more than ever you know, what we've been, what we consistently are being told that we have been so far ahead of the game because we're consistent. So everything that we're doing, it is online. When a homicide happens, you know, our partners will make sure that referral is made to the families, um, to our advocates so that we can connect by, with the family. So our advocates have been very very intentional of meeting with the families online, whether it's Zoom, phone conversation. So the work is still being done. Our Survivors Burial and Resource Guide, we also have it that it's online that people can then complete it. So the work is still being done. You know, we're also just our, um, 
our holistic healings, our mindfulness, our writing workshop, our peace plan urban settings, we are still doing those trainings offline. We're providing space where families can heal. And it it it's, I'm going to say, it's like a double-edged sword because through the pandemic, yet now it provides the opportunity where there's more engagement that can happen because people don't have to worry about leaving their home and traveling and, and you know, paying for cab ride or, or public transportation. So it's kind of a bittersweet. Now we're engaging with more. Like right now, you know, after the um, after the verdict, um, you know, of the George Floyd uh, murder trial, we provided a safe space where our staff could meet, um, our our board members, our people that are participating in the Mother's Day Walk for Peace. Life continues, but yet we're dealing with this heaviness. So being able to say, hey, let's talk, you know, in next 15 minutes, there's a there's an open space where we can begin to process, not stay consumed with what's happening and where we can begin to heal. So that's what this pandemic has done is, again, inviting us to when you want to do something, when something needs to get done, it doesn't matter what's in front of you, you're going to make sure to do something to make it happen. And that's what we've been doing. Um, so a lot of our training, a lot of our materials, knowledge, that's the part of the training that we do. And we get really more participants. Now, the next phase as to where we are going, I'm so glad you asked me this question. We are looking to build the center of healing, teaching, and learning. Because we want in our community, we want a place where we know this is a place of healing. This is a place where we can teach, and this is a place where we can come and learn right here in our own backyard. And so this is where we want to go so that when people are coming in and we get visitors from across the country, we get visitors from international visitors that want to learn how is it that you have lasted this long and have built partnership with the city of Boston. You have built partnership with our, our hospitals, health institution. How have you done that? Where you have gone in and worked with the Plymouth County Correctional Facilities to bring a, a, a peace building mindfulness program into uh, the facilities to have these men begin to look at peace from within. So for us, the Center of Healing, Teaching and Learning will be kind of a one-stop shop. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to Chumbacasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Where it doesn't matter what you need, this is the place to come. Where detectives and um, prosecutors and advocates and clinicians, here is where you're going to meet this family that this family doesn't have to go all over the place to find you. Or if a family needs uh, a space for, for meeting, for quiet, uh, uh, copy machine, fax machine, we're just going to have a one-stop center. 
where healing can begin and people can see that those of us in the urban settings, um, we do raise our children to want better. Uh, we do want to focus on the assets of our community. We want to teach the value of peace, and we also want to transform the way as a society we respond to families of murdered victims. So that's where we're going. And then we're going to transfer our knowledge. We have publications. We have an IM book of poems that were um, published there, uh, the men in Plymouth County Correctional Facilities. They're published authors. We have Boston's Book of Peace, the young people that went through the peace curriculum in the early 90s. I don't know if you guys remember going to the Heinz Convention, doing the peace curriculum, um, the Book of Peace. They're published authors. These young people are now adults with families of their own, you know, providing teachers with the tools that they need so that the children in their classroom can understand how do you begin to heal when life is just um, closing in around you. So for us, is that's where we want to go. We don't want to recreate Peace Institute across this neighborhood or across this country. We want to work with those that are doing the work and we want to transfer our knowledge so that they can add these tools to their toolbox. You know, it says, give a man a fish, feed him for a day, teach him how to fish. I don't know what the rest is, but you know, we can make sense out of that. So for us, we're ready to transfer our knowledge in a way that's sustainable. I'm Black. I'm not African-American. I'm from Central America, so I'm a Black Latina. Culturally, life is different. You know, so I want to bring my culture, my spiritual belief, my my relationship with God, and in the midst of all the bad things that is happening. I'm understanding now, this is not happening because of, this is by design. This is what you call institutional racism. This is modern day racism. And I have to find a way of not buying into that. My child was murdered and we're still blaming young people and we're still blaming single mothers and we still say certain parts of Roxbury, Dorchester, and Mattapan are hotspots. Well, that's by design. So for me, okay, if they're hot spots, I want to cool them down. Let's create P-zones. You know, let's make sure we don't always let somebody dictates to us that we are worse than we, because we're not. You know, it happened back, you know, in the, um, what is it, the South End? We can't afford to live in the South End. So what was the, what was, was, I think they said urban renewal and removal. So we, you know, you want us out of here. But for me, I just want to make sure how do we begin to promote the assets of our community? I want you to see me and my community through a different lens. And I want to create a generation of peacemakers. You know, I don't, we have generation Z and X and Y and millennial. Well, for my grandson and his generation, I want them to be known as the generation peace. I don't want to be back here 10 years later and saying, oh my goodness, these children and they got to do better and nobody cares. And I don't understand why they're shooting. Well, they're shooting because this is, it's set by design. When 20 something years later, we're still blaming the children and the people that take the credit when good things happen, like the Boston miracle, you know? So there has to be a way of accountability at some point for us if we are truly to create the 
environment where we can all live in peace, where families are valued and we're not blaming and shaming and picking and choosing and rallying, whether they were killed by police or whether it's a black kid killing another black kid or a white kid got caught in a crossfire. And so we, we, our goal is to really just again, teach the value of peace, focus and promote the assets of our community and transform that way we respond to families of homicide victims. So it's effective and equitable. It's not depending who is in office. It's a part of our system. You know, Clementina, I, I've been to, I've been going to community meetings since I was a kid. And, you know, I've seen it all from national night out to various rallies and, and, and things, you know, community events, these events that are designed to bring people together in a positive and peaceful manner. But I can honestly say that the best thing that I've ever seen consistently done is the Mother's Day Walk for Peace. So please, let, let, let's talk about that. Talk about what this is about, why you started it in the first place, and, and, and why it matters. Yeah, it's um, <laughs> 25 years is a long time. And, you know, sitting down, really naming 25 years, it becomes a little bit emotional. And yet, uh, there's a sense of, there's a sense of, for me, pride and a sense of my community is a community, um, where, where we thrive, where we care for people. So this is that gentle reminder for me of, again, promoting assets of community. And so I really, you know, when Lewis was killed, I, 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 I wondered, you know, he was killed in um, December of 93. We went through Christmas, New Year's, uh, all the major holidays. His birthday was April 13th of that following year. And then here comes Mother's Day. So all of those major events. And I always wonder, well, what do people do? What do mothers do? How, how do we, how do we, celebrate with our living children and then how do we how do we mourn who does that there was really no one that was able to um explain that and so for me lewis was not killed privately he was killed on our streets and i know we had all these stop the violence rally i remember i think it was bz that had a stop the violence campaign and all these stop the violence gathering. And then we had the domestic violence walk and we had the walk for AIDS and the walk for hunger. And I just sat there and wonder, why don't we have a walk for peace? I didn't want to do a stop the violence walk. I wanted to promote something. I wanted to be an action something. I wanted to promote peace. I wanted to let people know, one, we are not community where bad things happen. Yes, it is, but that's not who we are. And so really having a conversation, again, meeting with our elected officials, um, police department, our community uh, members, and some of the families. And I said, I wanted to walk. You know, again, elected officials are not. I think they appease me. Well, you know, yeah, it's Tina. We, we're going to appease her but nobody's going to show up. And so we met and we got permit. And, you know, they were concerned with well, Tina, it's Mother's Day. Why would you want to do this to mothers? And I said, okay, 
if they don't want to walk, then I will walk by myself. But I just want to, I just, I, I just feel like I'm being called to do this. We got the permit, started in Townfield. A handful of people came out, you know, um, and you would know because you guys were there. And I hopefully you have some of those photos that you can send. And so we just started to do that. And it was the first year and the survivors that came out, the families that came out, it was bittersweet. Yet at the same time, it was that gentle reminder, we are not alone. We wanted to come together to, to, to connect, to learn from each other, to support each other, and then to recommit ourselves, to remember our children who died, who were killed, and at the same time, to come together to protect each other's children. We wanted to create this web to say, our living children also matter. We are going to grieve, we're going to remember, we're gonna give ourselves permission, and at the same time, this is, is about remembering and it's about the, the children that we have living. And it was also a fundraiser. We never did great in the fundraising, yet at the same time, people continue to come out. And it shows the survivors community continued to grow, which was painful. And at the same time, it was a way of us coming together and to show our elected officials, these are the people that are left behind. So it's an awareness, it's education, it's a healing safe space, connectedness, and it's a fundraiser. And 25 years later, we are still here. I remember one year it rained torrential. It rained for about three days. And the, the Saturday we watched the weather, the field was packed. I remember um, we still walked. Uh, I remember the late Mayor Menino saying, Tina, why don't you just walk up the street and cancel? And we're like, no, we're not. A few years ago, there was a nor'easter and they wanted us to cancel. And I said, no, unless the governor says state of emergency, we're not canceling. Because people who commit and who are ready to commit harm do not look at the weather to commit the harm. So we are not going to stop regardless of what the weather is, unless now that it's COVID, then we're doing it virtually because again, we have to adhere to um, the guidelines set by the CDC, by our mayor and by our governor. And so we're, we're, we're consistent, you know, we're not going anywhere. And I think for me is the, this walk is not new. This walk was done way before. Mother's Day was a day again where those mothers whose children, they stood, they stood firm that mothers of children that were going to war came together with those mothers of children that were being killed in the war to say, we are not in favor of our children going to someone else's country to kill someone else's child. So this Mother's Day, what we really did is took it back, the true meaning of Mother's Day, moving it from a commercialized to bringing it back to activism and to love. And many mothers, from our, especially from our suburban communities, they have not been impacted. What they have said to their families, this is my Mother's Day gift. This is where I want to spend Mother's Day. And this is where I want you to make a donation. And, and instead of buying the um, 
instead of buying me uh, flowers or, or taking me, this is where I want you to invest and to give in my honor. So 25 years later, it's a, it's a, it's an incredible, powerful, bittersweet space to be in. Because if my child was alive, we probably wouldn't even know each other and be talking to each other. And I would not be doing this. I would still be living in my comfortable life, probably still be married, you know, and, and not have this tragic, again, I'm going to say destroy my marriage. And my marriage ended. So 25 years later, um, this year, we're celebrating it and, and we're virtual. And our goal is to raise $600,000. And, you know, raising money as a black woman don't come easy. You know, it, it's interesting that you bring up that year when it rained. Uh, and Mayor Menino, you, you were talking to him about that and what have you. Mm -hmm. I was there. And I do have some some photos from that year i i think that was either 2011 yeah, probably, or 2012, uh, 2012. Go please send those to us because what we actually want to do yes it's yes. airing on um <laughs> um nec and nbc boston and what we're doing with them is we're going to televise like a 30 minute uh, uh live event and we really want to show I mean, this walk from different lenses. I mean, people will send me photos that I didn't even know these people were there. People come to Boston from towns I never knew existed. I remember one year, this woman, we were walking and she says, Tina, oh my goodness, there are trees in Dorchester. I said, yes, and we have indoor plumbing also because when you don't come to Dorchester and you just know us, by what the media portrays, you would think we're, we're, you know, we're, we're animals, that we're not civilized people. And so bringing people into Dorchester to see the heart and beauty of who we are as a community and how diverse we are as a community. So if you have those photos, I would love to see them to add them to our archives. I, I sure will. I'll make sure I get those to you. And, I, and I'll tell you a funny story about that. Um, we got <laughs> soaked in the beginning. You had a stage and of course, all the, all the elected officials, they had to say their words and all that good stuff there. And we got soaked in the beginning, but I don't know if you remember this, but toward the end, the, the weather broke and the sun yes. actually came out. Lucky land casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky. Lucky in line at the deli, I guess. Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. So I have photos, and you, you might be better uh, than I am at this, because Fields Corner... There's a point where there is a mural um, that was spray painted on purpose. It, it was it's literally art. And people were basically, you know, a, a guy is telling another person, you know, stop the violence, something along those those lines there. Someone from Boston.com at the time took a photo of me holding a video camera and surrounded by a bunch of mothers. And we were walking by that mural and it was almost as if it was staged hmm. the way that it looked. But it was that year, and again, the sun broke, 
So it, it's it's really interesting when you talk about that. Um, you know, it, it might have started off raining, but it broke for us. And and when we when we got to the end, we were, we were a heck of a lot more dry yes. than we were in the beginning. Yes. So <laughs> I I wonder if that's a that's a hidden message there. There's, there might be a hidden I, meaning I, it might that. be, I but know. you know, we'll leave that to the spiritual people to 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 define what that means. <laughs> that's right. That's right. That's right. You know, Clementina, uh, I know that people listening are interested and I know they're, they're going to want to check out the Peace Institute and what you have going on and especially the, you know, the the whole Mother's Day uh, walk and, and the fundraising, everything that you have going on there. Is there a website or something that we can direct people to where they can yeah, get more so information? Yes, so both and. The website for the Peace Institute is just www.ellisonlewis, D as in David, B as in Brown, peaceinstitute.org. So that's to understand everything that we're doing uh, as an organization. The Mother's Day Walk for Peace is, is the walk website. So that's www.mothersdaywalk, the number four, peace.org. Um, so you can get from that from the walk website if you go that, or then you can get to that also from the ldbpeaceinstitute.org. And so we're, we're, you know, it's it's not this Sunday, May 9th, next Sunday. So if you have a team on there, you can see if you have a team or our faith community, our hospitals, our general walkers, and then our survivors community. I have my team. My sister, Julia, is the captain of my team, and it's LDB Walks With Me. Our goal is $2,500 because of 25 years. So if you're heart is calling you to donate to my team to help me reach my goal, then you're invited to do so, creating your own team. If someone you know has been impacted by violence, you want to honor them. Or if there's someone um, that has a walk team that your 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 spirit is calling you to make a, a donation, then we invite you to do that also. So no amount is too small. Clementina Cherry, listen, I, I want to thank you uh, for sharing your time and all this great information. And, and I want to thank you for all the great work that you've done through the years, because I, I truly feel like you are you're a shero, not just a hero. You are a shero. That's a that's a word that I learned from um, at the time. Yes, Counselor yes. Presley. She's now <laughs> Congresswoman Presley. Uh, you are a shero. And I. I Again, and I told you this offline, there isn't really a day that goes by where you don't cross my mind in, in a very positive manner because legitimately, when we talk about this show, tell us the truth and elevating the voices of people who are doing the real work and are real shining examples for the world to check out and, and say, oh, that's how, you, that's how you do that. And that's a way that you can affect change. And if you, if you stay firm and consistent, and if your 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 motivation is pure, it's not a bunch of nonsense. It's amazing what can get done. So again, on behalf of the entire city of Boston and really the the world and the in the survivors community, thank you. Thank well, thank you, you for thanks. reaching out and blessings to you and the family. You know, I, I really enjoy talking to people who actually are the ones doing the work and making a difference out there, and and certainly. Clementina Sherry and the entire crew over there at the Louis D. Brown Peace Institute, they're people who do the work. 
There's, there's no question about that. And when you hear Clementina talk about the fact that people from all over the world go to the Institute to, to check out the kind of work that they do and to learn. And, and she's someone that is a consultant for folks about how do you provide services to the families, you know, the survivors, the victims of violence. It's important. It's important. And, and you know, that population, we forget about them. We forget about the family. You watch the news and then we move on, right? But we forget that there are people who have to somehow, some way, pick up the pieces of their life after losing a loved one. And not only losing a loved one, but losing a loved one to violence. Their loved one was snatched from them. Clementina talked about her son, who the Peace Institute is named after, Louis D. Brown. And just incredible, incredible story. And, and the fact that she's taken a personal tragedy and has turned it into a life's purpose to help others. She and her whole team over there, I mean, her daughter uh, is part of the team there and she's doing an incredible job. The whole team, they're just they're great people, great people and, and very necessary. And I appreciate them all, you know, absolutely. This episode originally was going to be a roundtable discussion regarding the verdict of the Derek Chauvin trial, the man who ultimately was found guilty of murdering George Floyd. So that was a plan. You know, I had folks from uh, a few different organizations and even a law enforcement officer who initially was geared up to speak about that, their feelings on the verdict and where do we go from here, the whole nine yards there. Unfortunately, in the past week, we have seen so much violence. So many people have been murdered out there, not only at the hands of police, but just in general. And I'm not going to say I'm surprised, but a few of our, our guests who lined up, you know, they asked to take some time and, and circle back around. They just they couldn't do it this week because the, the emotions are too overwhelming and they needed to process a little bit more. And I get it. I get it 100%, and, and that's why I was fortunate uh, Clementina Cherry made time to do this. I mean, she trauma work is what she does. So, you know, her and her team, they're coming from this with a, a, a totally different angle here. Uh, and being able to speak about this, I mean, literally, there was a shooting last night in Boston, and yet Clementina Sherry made herself available to do this uh session here on tell us the truth so it's i'm telling you folks and i know that you know this i know that you whoever you are wherever you are in the world listening right now i know that you can understand what i'm about to say here it is challenging it is very challenging and it is exhausting that despite all the efforts we still have people dying out there people who are being murdered it is crazy and whether that's, you know, the, the, the various reasons because of the local crime happening or at the hand of police. I saw a video the other day, a guy on the 21st of April, two police officers uh, brought him down to the ground. And, you know, I believe he was a, uh, a Hispanic gentleman and they put their weight on him. One of them put his weight on him. He had his knee on his back. He had his, his elbow and his forearm on the upper part of his torso. 
The man's face was on the ground. Looks like there was wood chips and dirt and what have you. So there was a lot of loose stuff out there. Um, but they put him on the ground and the man eventually just died. I don't know if you call that suffocated or what, but clearly he couldn't breathe and he was moving. He was, he was, he was trying to let them know that he was having a problem here and they did not let up and it didn't appear he was armed. I mean, he had his hand in his pocket at one point, but they had gotten him on the ground. It looked like they had cuffed him at one point. Uh, there's two of them, two of these officers. They put their weight on this man, not too much different from what happened to George Floyd, and the man died. Are you kidding me? Are you kidding me? So now there's an FBI investigation on this matter here. Are you kidding me? Elizabeth County, are you kidding me? After everything going on in this, in this whole world, but especially in this country, and we have officers who are still putting their knees on people and people dying as a result of all that weight being put on them. Are you kidding me? Oh my goodness. So when we talk about how overwhelming this all is, what, what more do you say? What more do you say? Come on. And when does it end? Right? When does, when does the, the actual reforms, we got to get serious about that. And, you know, Clementina Sherry, she, she brought up a good point. She says, listen, Black Lives Matter, you know, they're focusing on uh, police murders and what have you. And her group, the Louis D. Brown Peace Institute, they are focusing on providing services to the survivors and victims of violence, no matter who has taken the lives of, of those victims. So, you know, she doesn't fault anybody or anything like that for having their focus because she has her focus. She has her lane, her and her group, the services that they provide, and they do an incredible job. It is it's just unfortunate that these organizations have to exist in the first place. Like, how is she doing more work around this stuff? That means it's happening more. Come on. And it's and it's, it's really just a, a mess when, again, it's at the hand of an officer because this is someone who is supposed to serve and protect and who tax dollars are paying for. Uh, you know, that's how they're employed. It's It's terrible. It's terrible no matter who is committing the act of taking someone's life. And it certainly is terrible when that person is a police officer. My goodness. So the folks who originally were, were, were slated to be on the show this week, I get it. I 100% get it. It's overwhelming, man. Talking about this stuff is overwhelming, especially when there was a period there where it was like every day or two, something else happened. Another person got shot. There was, you know, the young lady who was shot, who she had a knife. Some, some people were trying to uh, attack her. And she managed to get a knife. Originally, they had the knife. She managed to get the knife. She was a, she was a teenager, and these were adults. When the police showed up, they didn't know who was who. All they knew was they saw her with a knife, and they killed her. Wow. There were, there were mass shooters out there who are somehow, some way, <laughs> brought to justice and allowed to have their day in court. They killed that girl. So, I mean, what do we say to that? You know, there's another gentleman who, who was in his car. You know, the police were allegedly uh, serving a search warrant. And they, they shot him up. Killed him, too. Killed him, too. And the jurisdiction will not release the body cam footage, which will show what happened. Right? 
So, I mean, you've had officers who have resigned. You've had officers who's on, who are on leave. The whole nine yards. That that tells me that there's some funny business going on. The FBI is involved in investigating. The FBI is going to be busy. I don't know what they were doing so much uh, the past four years because we know that the the Trump administration and, and Attorney General Barr they didn't really have much of an appetite for holding police departments accountable so much, right? Well, it's a new new sheriff in town. <laughs> we got to reform our law enforcement practices. We have to. We have to. We have to. Because this can't keep happening. Come on. My goodness. And, and I don't know what to say to people anymore. I don't know how you avoid being in these positions. I don't know. Because you could be armed or not armed. You could be resisting or not resisting. You could, you know, you, if you're black and brown and you exist... You are living in a time, and I believe that it's been this way, in which that, you, you know, every time you step out of your house, your life is at risk. Hell, every time you're in your own bed, your life is at risk. We got to get a handle of this stuff, man. And, you know, these organizations that are actually helping people, we got to make sure that we're shouting them out and that we're supporting them and what have you as well. Because I'll tell you, that is that is very difficult work. Trauma work is is very difficult. You think watching the news and reading the newspaper and talking to your loved ones about it. Try providing services to somebody who's living it on top of all that other stuff. My goodness. My goodness. All right. Next week, you know, we'll keep the ball rolling here. Um, Boy. Again, very emotional. Very emotional. Some challenging times here, but I have hope. I have hope that we're going to figure it out. We must. I know I, I keep saying that, but I I got to say it, believe it, and, and maybe we can will it to be true. <laughs> we must have a better life for, for all of us. We must. Until next time, be kind to yourselves and be kind to others. This is E. Duke Bennett, and you've been listening to Tell Us the Truth. Tell Us the Truth is produced in Boston in association with iHeartMedia and WBZ News Radio. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.